Last week we started a series of messages entitled Take Care. And on Mother's Day we, we began to focus on what is it that what is it that I want to make sure that my children and grandchildren know as they enter the adult world, because uh, as many of you have discovered, that happens very, very quickly. And so that there, there are lessons, there are life lessons, there's wisdom, there's truth that you want to impart to them, something you want them to get before, you leave, before they leave. The one we looked at last week, we encouraged them to take care of your heart. And that grew out of uh, Proverbs 4, 23, which says, above all else, guard your heart for everything you do flows from it. Guard your heart. In other words, be careful to that which you give your affections. Guard your heart. This morning, our admonition goes from the heart a little bit north. Take care of your mind. This is something we need to do as a people of God, but it's also something we need to model for our children and our grandchildren. Some of you, if you were around in 1972, may remember the commercial, the United Negro College Fund. Their theme was, a mind is a terrible thing to waste. That's one of those things that just stick with you, isn't it? A mind is a terrible thing to waste. And we'll confess that when Dan Quayle tried to quote that in the heat of the moment, he didn't do a great job. You remember Vice President Dan Quayle? He didn't, he didn't do so well on that one. Uh, what a terrible thing it is not to have a mind or to lose one's mind, how true it is. Okay, that wasn't exactly right, but we knew what he was talking about. Because this theme, a mind is a terrible thing to waste, we understand this. Because a wasted mind is going to lead to a wasted life. A wasted mind is going to inevitably lead to a wasted life. And we're talking about more than just knowledge, more than just information, and more than just education this morning. We're talking about our decision-making. How do we make choices? What is the criteria upon which we base the choices of our lives? That's what we want to consider this morning for ourselves and for the next generations that are to come. Now, there have been people who've stumbled upon this truth, not by reading scripture, just because it seemed to be common sense wisdom. The Roman emperor Marcus Aurelius said, a man's life is what his thoughts make of it. Ralph Waldo Emerson once stated, a man is what he thinks about all day long. They stumbled onto this truth that is revealed in scripture in Romans chapter 8 verse 5 we read this those who live according to the flesh have their minds set on what the flesh desires but those who live in accordance with the spirit have their minds set on what the spirit desires in other words where you place your thought life your attention is going to in large part determine your direction where you end up in life. So let's consider very seriously this morning this call to take care of the mind. Now, most of you know I'm Christian, I'm not Buddhist. But I thought I thought 
What Buddha said about the mind was worth repeating because some of you can identify with this. Buddha described the mind as being filled with drunken monkeys who jumped, screeched, and chatted endlessly. Some of you go, well, he may have had a point. Because sometimes your mind feels that way. You know, it's just a bunch of drunken monkeys up there dancing around. Now, when we come to talk about the mind, we want to recognize that the mind and the brain are not identical. They're similar. They share many things, but they're not identical. The brain, the brain is a jelly-like mass of fat and protein weighing around three pounds. It is one of the body's biggest organs consisting of some 100 billion nerve cells that not only put together thoughts and highly coordinated physical actions, but regulate our unconscious body processes such as digestion and breathing. That's what the brain is. It's the largest organ in our body and it controls a lot of what takes place in our movement, in our uh, you know, conscious and unconscious body functions. Now, in your brain, information travels. Get this. Information travels in your brain. I don't know how you measure this. At 268 miles an hour. Unless, of course, you're like one of those drunken monkeys. Because if you're inebriated, it slows it down considerably. A piece of brain tissue, get this, the size of a grain of sand. Piece of brain tissue the size of a grain of sand contains 100,000 neurons and 1 billion synapses. They're all connected to each other. Your total brain consists of 86 billion neurons. And neurons kind of talk to each other over a a, a system called synapses. And there are approximately 10,000 synapses per individual neuron. Think about that. 86 billion neurons and 10,000 synapses per neuron. What that means is, whether you know it or not, whether you feel like it or not, there's a whole lot of stuff going on in your head. Your brain is working, even when you don't think it's working. There are things that are firing, things that are going all the time. Now, that's the brain. That's the the physical organ. The mind is a little different. The mind is the thinking, reasoning, deciding capacity of who you are. It is not the same as the brain, but the brain makes it possible for the mind to do what it does. In other words, the brain is the physical organ in your head. The mind is the ability or the capacity to think and reason. You can think of it like this. Uh, It's our consciousness and awareness. Now, if your brain is that busy, imagine how busy your mind must be. What you're thinking about. I don't know who studies these things, but studies show that you, an an average human being, has about 70,000 thoughts per day. 70,000 thoughts per day. It's that that we want to address this morning. What are you thinking about? What are you dwelling on? To what is your attention focused? Because there's a lot of stuff going on up here. And just as we are to guard our hearts, 
we also need to guard our, what, we, what our attention is drawn to. So what does God have to say about taking care of our minds? If you have your Bibles, I invite you to open to Romans chapter 12. We're going to look at two verses, verses 1 and 2 in Romans chapter 12. Now, we're not going to focus on the first verse today. We'll actually do that next week as part of our continuation of this message. We're going to focus on verse 2, but we'll see them here together because they fit. Romans chapter 12, verses 1 and 2, and this is what Paul writes to us. Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. Let's, let's camp there for a little while. Do not conform to the pattern of this world. The J.B. Phillips translation puts it, Put it pretty simply. Don't let the world around you squeeze you into its mold. That really gets to the heart of the matter. Don't let the world, the culture, society around you squeeze you into its mold so that you adopt its standards and its values. In other words, as Christians, we're called to resist conforming to the norms of culture. Um. Let, let, let me, uh, how many of you, let, we'll make it easy. How many of you are 40 or over? Has just, just in this brief time span, okay, have you seen the culture change in your lifetime? Tremendously. It, it is the, the, the rate of change in our culture and values and norms it seems to speed up with every single day that passes. So what we are warned against is, listen, don't just go with the flow. Don't just hop on a raft and just take you where the culture is, wants to take you. You are to resist this tendency that's within all of us because we all want to fit in. You're to resist this tendency to conform and this has always been a challenge for God's people. When, when the children of Israel got ready to go in the promised land, what did, what did God tell them? Listen, when you go in there, you're going to be tempted to be just like them. Don't do it. Don't adopt their religion. If you marry their women, if you marry their women, their women are going to draw your hearts away and you're going to start worshiping their idols. We had a great illustration of that in the life of Solomon, didn't we? who married all those women and had all those concubines. And it says his heart was drawn away from God. And he began to build altars to these false gods. How, how could a man who'd been blessed so richly by God end up going that far away? Well, you know what? It didn't happen overnight. It was a process, a dripping over and over and over again. And that's, we get swept away in that. That's the way it, it works in our lives. You see, it's easy to be lured into a situation where we compromise our values and our convictions. It begins small, but I promise you this, sin will take you places that you never thought you would go. And we could have testimony time right now on that one, couldn't we? 
Sin will take you places that you never, ever thought you would go. You didn't intend to go there. It wasn't your plan. You didn't wake up that morning and go, okay, this is the direction of my life. But little by little, you began to adopt the attitudes, the thoughts, the patterns, the values of the world around you. And it began to take you off in a direction that you never would have expected that you could go. This is not in, this is not in your notes, but I, I, this morning as I was reviewing it, I, I wanted to remind you that daily we stand against three enemies that we have. And the first enemy is the world, that is the culture around us. That's, that's our enemy. It is trying actively to mold us, to make us like everybody else. And the human tendency is to go with it. And so the world is one of our enemies, the society, culture. The second enemy is our flesh. That is our old sin nature. That's an enemy. And it wants to drag us back into our old sin patterns, those things that we used to do. And the third enemy we have is the devil. I believe in a personal being called Satan. I believe it because the Bible teaches it as reality, not as myth, not as fantasy, not some force of evil out there. And what we're told about the devil is that he is prowling around like a roaring lion looking for whom he might devour. And so you have these enemies every single day. Is it any wonder that we're encouraged in Scripture to put on the full armor of God? to get dressed for battle as we go out into the world. We do not live in a vacuum. We have opposition. It comes from without, and sadly, it comes from within. We need to be aware of it. And what we're called to do today is to resist it, to take that stand. This is what we read in 1 Peter 4. Therefore, since Christ suffered in his body, arm yourselves also with the same attitude. Because whoever suffers in the body is done with sin. As a result, they do not live the rest of their earthly lives for evil human desires, but rather for the will of God. It's a decision. I'm not going to live for my what comes from in here, what my flesh wants to do. I'm going to live based on what God's will is. For you spend enough time. Listen to this. You spend enough time in the past doing what pagans choose to do. Living in debauchery, lust, drunkenness, orgies, carousing, and detestable idolatry. They're surprised that you do not join in with them in their reckless, wild living. And they heap abuse upon you. In other words, (laughs) when you pull out of a situation, some of you can identify with this. You used to live a life that did not honor God. And you may have even called yourself a Christian and you may have been baptized when you were a child, but you realize, man, you're out there, you're doing your own thing, you're living your own way, okay? And you've got these friends that you're living that way with. And then all of a sudden, God gets a hold of you. And it may have been through a church service, it may have been through a Gideon Bible in a hotel, it may have been through a TV preacher, I don't know what it was, but somehow God got a hold of you and your life began to change and your mind was being renewed and you begin to resist conforming to the pattern of the world. 
those things that you did do, you don't want to do those things anymore. You want to make a change. You want to turn over a new leaf. You want to begin living that new life. But what happens? Those people want to drag you back down, don't they? They want to pull you back into it. Uh, You make them uncomfortable. And instead of saying, hey, what's wrong with me? They look at you and go, hey, what's wrong with you? You used to do this. You used to enjoy that. Are you afraid? Uh, Are you you afraid of your wife? Are you afraid of your husband? What, are you too good for us? Holier than thou? Hey, I know how you used to live. And they want to drag you back down. And if you continue to resist, they will, as it says, heap abuse on you in order to get you to come back to where they are. That's why it's so hard to make that change. Because not only do you have the world, the flesh, and the devil working against you, you have people who call themselves your friends who also want to drag you back down too. Put on your armor. Arm yourselves for battle. I look at, uh, you know, we, we don't even have to look at soldiers. Next time you see, next time you see a, a, a police officer, sheriff's deputy, a DNR agent, take a look. Every morning before they go to work, they get themselves ready to go. They've got a whole, you know, a whole array of things that are cumbersome and bulky, and it'd be a whole lot easier just to kind of go out and short some T-shirt. But they don't do that. Because they know that they have a mission. And they know that there are people out there who are doing bad things. And they need to be prepared for it. We go skipping in, uh, you know, nothing more than a bikini or a a Speedo out into the world. Not literally. It's a terrible image, isn't it? We go. (laughs) But honestly, spiritually, that's how prepared we are to face the battles. Isn't that ridiculous? And yet it happens all the time, and sadly, it happens to many of us. So the call here first is don't be conformed into the culture, into the values, into the pattern of this world. But instead, be transformed. That's passive. That's something that's done to you. Be transformed by the renewing of your mind. It's the opposite of being conformed. Conformed is press in from the outside. Like you'd put jelly in a mold or, you know, cut out something with a cookie cutter. It's, it's conformed from the outside to fit, to look like everything else. Transformed is something that takes place on the inside that affects the outside. So we're not going outside in. That's legalism. We're going inside out. That's grace. God begins to change us here. And it has an effect on our outside. And the word transformed here, uh, the Greek root word of that is the same word from which we get our English word metamorphosis. Some of you have heard this. The caterpillar becoming the butterfly. This great change that takes place. That's what we're saying here. Don't be conformed to the pattern of the world, but instead be transformed, changed, metamorphosized by the renewing of your what? mind by the renewing of your mind second corinthians three eighteen says 
And we all who with unveiled faces contemplate the Lord's glory are being transformed into his image with ever increasing glory, which comes from the Lord, who is the spirit. Our desire is to be more like Jesus every day in attitude and action. That's part of our vision as a church. But we don't get there simply by obeying a bunch of rules or jumping through religious hoops. Transformation is an ongoing work that the Holy Spirit does inside us that we can either embrace or resist. We can either resist it or embrace it. The Spirit's working in us, producing, wanting to produce the fruit of the Spirit in our lives. But we're told we can either resist it or we can embrace it. We have a choice here how we respond to this. So what if we resist conforming and are instead willing to allow the Holy Spirit to transform us by the renew of our minds? The verse goes on to say this, then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is. In other words, if you're being conformed to the values of this world, then you will not be able to test and approve what God's will is. You won't know God's will. If you want to know God's will, then it requires a transformation that happens by the renewing of the mind. John R.W. Stott wrote this, and, and it's perfect. He says, although Paul does not here tell us how our mind becomes renewed, we know from his other writings that it is by a combination of the Spirit and the Word of God. Certainly, regeneration by the Holy Spirit involves a renewal of every part of our humanness, which has been tainted and twisted by the fall, and this includes our mind. But in addition, we need the Word of God, which is the Spirit's sword, and which acts as an objective revelation of God's will. Here, then, are the stages of Christian moral transformation. First, our mind is renewed by the Word and the Spirit of God. Then we're able to discern the desire and will of God. Then we're increasingly transformed by it. What a beautiful picture, simple way of explaining this verse. We all say we want to know what God's will is. Come on. I want to know what God's will is for my life. But too often we are too busy or too preoccupied to take time to open God's word to discover what God's will is. It's like we want God to tell us some secret that he's not going to reveal to anybody else. You know, God, give me, give me a little inside info. And yet God has given us revelation after revelation after revelation, after not just a book by that name, but he is continuing to reveal himself over and over and over again, and it sits on a shelf collecting dust. And here is God speaking to us. Can you imagine? Think about this. All right. We'll, we'll, pick on, we'll pick on the guys and just see what happens here. Let's say your wife writes you a love letter or just picks up a card. Women and men pick up cards differently, by the way. Women take hours trying to find just the right card. You guys didn't know that, did you? Okay, you're just looking for the right section. Okay, and... Your only criteria is, this won't embarrass me. That's your criteria, right? 
Women take hours. So let's say your wife is gone and she has picked out this perfect card just to tell you how much she loves you. And then she writes a special note in it. Men just sign it. Sometimes they'll put, I love you. Women, they'll write a note, okay? And then they, they put it in an envelope and they put your name on it. And then they set it out right by the coffee pot or wherever it is that you go every morning. And it's sitting there waiting for you. Let's just suppose, let's just suppose you saw that, but you said, you know what, I really don't have time to look at that today. Let me grab my coffee here and get on out. I'm busy. I got a lot of stuff to do. So you come home during the evening, and, and your wife said, well, maybe you just overlooked it. Maybe it's too sleepy that morning. I, I won't say anything about it. <laughs> it ain't likely, but I won't say anything about it. <laughs> and then she says, he'll see it. He'll see it. So I, she moves it maybe to the dinner table. Right there in front of you. And you sit there and you have dinner and you're past the peas, whatever it is. And, and you, uh, you, you go on and, and you don't look at it. You don't pay attention. You don't open it. You don't pay any attention to it. Okay, how many of you guys are going to live to see the next morning? I mean, seriously. You wouldn't think to do that. That is absolutely idiotic to do something like that. And yet, God has written us a love letter. And it too often remains unopened. And unread and embraced. A God of love who wants to communicate us and tell us what's on his heart. And yet, there it sits. Just a little illustration, maybe that'll, that'll help next time you, you pass by your Bible. We're told that all scripture, all scripture is God breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness. So if we want to know God's will, then we need to go to God's word. But also, Uh, We're told that everything we need for life and godliness can be found in the Bible. In in 2 Peter 1, 3, his divine power has given us everything we need for a godly life through the knowledge of him who's called by his own glory and goodness. Now, secondly, we not only need the word of God, we also need the spirit of God. We need the Holy Spirit also working in us, enlivening us. We say we want to know what God's will is, and yet we are become stubborn and inflexible, and we exert our wills and we resist the Holy Spirit. First Thessalonians five nineteen encourages us with these words: "Don't quench the Spirit." What does it mean? Don't quench the Spirit. That means don't extinguish the Spirit's work and the Spirit's will. Don't extinguish it. Don't pour cold water on what the Holy Spirit of God is trying to do in your life. Now you go, well, who in the world would do that? Honestly, me. I cannot count the number of times that I have been prompted by God's Spirit to say something to someone or do something or to serve in some way. I felt God's leadership, felt the Spirit tugging me, but I hadn't wanted to do it. And so I just didn't do it. What have I done then? I've done exactly what we're encouraged not to do. I've quenched the Spirit. I've extinguished the Spirit's desire for my life. And truly, I have robbed not only the other person, but I have robbed myself of blessings that God wanted to pour into my life by not responding to the Spirit's call on me. It's not that God's not leading me. It's just that I'm not listening. I had this experience this was a lot of fun. I went uh, on Monday night. Since, since Jay has grown and gone, I haven't really gone to many rec league ball games or anything. But I was invited. And so went, uh, Monday night, I went to the rec league up here in uh, 
close to Union Point, and I went over and I watched the little ones out there learning the game of baseball, sort of. Now, this wasn't a game. I don't know what a game looks like. I want to video that. But this was the practice. And so the coach was at the plate and was trying to teach them to pick up the ball when it rolled to them and to throw it over to first base. Now, it's a soft, squishy ball. And they even had a base that squeaks when you step on it to kind of motivate them that way. Okay, so, so she'd be rolling the ball out there and they'd pick it and they'd throw it somewhere in the general vicinity of first base. Except for one child, and I'm not going to call any names, but I think it was the coach's son, was not paying the least bit of attention. It did not matter what was going on. He was on and off the field. It was all over the place. And, and he came out there and she said, okay, it's your turn. And he's got his back to her. It's your, she calls his name, turn around, get in position, turn around, get in position. He is not paying any attention whatsoever to what's going on on that field. And sometimes that's me. God's trying to get my attention. The Spirit is tugging me, pulling me, speaking to me. And I am so preoccupied with what I want to do or with the color of the sky or the sound of the train going by that I have absolutely no interest in that. And I miss it. And I don't think I'm alone. When we neglect the Word of God and we neglect the Spirit of God, then we're not going to get the will of God. We're not going to know what His good, pleasing, and perfect will are. We quench the work of the Spirit by not pausing to pray and to listen. But we also quench His work by filling our heads, listen, with the wrong things. What are you feeding your mind? What are you putting inside? If you, if you are feasting on a steady diet of negativity, moral relativism, immorality, and mindless fluff, it is going to take a great toll on your mind and therefore a great toll on your life. No sensible person would have a diet of hostess Twinkies, moon pies, and cherry Coke. Why? Because it would kill them pretty quick. They know enough that you got to eat a little bit healthy. you got to put some green stuff in there. You, gotta, you need to eat some proteins. They know enough to, to change the diet in order to function and to live. And yet, what do we feed our brains? What do we feed our minds? Sadly, there's many things that, that end up twisting, and, 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 twisting our view of, of what life ought to be and what life can be. Instead, what does Scripture call us to do? Philippians 4, 8. Finally, brothers, whatever's true, whatever's honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence, if there's anything worthy of praise, think about these things. That does not describe primetime television. It doesn't. It doesn't describe some of the things that you're reading. It doesn't describe some of the things that you view on the internet. You see, God understands that what we feed our minds is going to affect how we 
make decisions and how we live. And so we're called, don't let yourself be conformed. Don't let yourself be pressed into this mold. If you want transformation, it comes from a renewing of the mind, your thinking, your decision-making. And if you're feeding your mind junk, it's the old computer terminology, garbage in, garbage out. That's what's going to happen. The renewal of our minds is an ongoing process that is guided by the Word of God and by the Spirit of God that will cultivate one day in our glorification we will be fully changed. We're on our way now, but one day we're going to be fully changed. But it is a work, it is at work revealing God's will and empowering us to follow His will. So let me, let me summarize this. You may want to write these down. I added these just as I, as I began to think about how to put a ribbon on this at the end. How do we do this? 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 First of all, evaluate what you feed your mind. That's pretty obvious, isn't it? Think about what's good, pure, noble, honorable. Avoid the other things. Secondly, eliminate those things that draw you away from godliness and more into worldliness. And sometimes that takes drastic measures. Jesus said, if your eye causes you to sin, pluck it out. If your hand causes you to sin, cut it off. In other words, sometimes you need to go to drastic measures to remove those things from your life that drag you back into godlessness and away from godliness. So you want to evaluate what you feed your mind, eliminate those things that draw you away from godliness. Third, put yourself in the right places with the right people who encourage you to pursue God and not the things of the world. Think about who your friends are, who you associate with. Are they, pull, are they pulling you up towards godliness or are they dragging you down towards worldliness? And so you want to put yourself in the right place with the right people who are going to help you. That doesn't mean you don't associate with anybody else because we're told to go out in the world and make a difference and be the light of the world. It just means the people who are going to influence the way you think, your attention. You want to make sure you've got people in there who can point you in the right direction. Four, set a good example for your children and your grandchildren on taking care of the heart and the mind. This is so critical. Remember, we said it last week. Your children are going to be a lot more what they see than what you say. So you want to make sure that you model for them. And then finally, it begins with a commitment of the heart, mind, body, and soul to follow Jesus. You're not going to find this kind of transformation without a relationship with God through Jesus Christ. You're just not. It won't happen. I don't know how many people have turned over a new leaf. They seem to turn over a new leaf every month. They make this commitment, oh, I'm going to change, I'm going to change, I'm going to change, I'm going to change, and nothing changes. Why? Because they're trying to do it themselves in their own wisdom, their own power. It doesn't work that way. We're transformed. That is a passive thing for us. It's what God does in us, what the Spirit does in us. We are transformed by the renewing of our minds. We have a part of it, but God does the transformation. And the first thing some of you need is a relationship, not a religion. Not in your name on a church roll somewhere. You need a relationship with God through Jesus Christ, His Son, who came to pay the price that you might be His And this morning, if you'd like to know how to receive Jesus as Savior and Lord, we've got people that would love to share that with you. They wouldn't get any greater joy 
than being able to pull you aside and say, hey, listen, this is how I came to know Jesus, and you can come to know him too. You may need a church home. We talked about having an environment, a place and a people who would encourage you in the right direction, who would not drag you down but build you up. And if God's calling you to be a part of this church family, then I want to encourage you to come and unite with us. Some of you may just need to come and pray. Some of this stuff hit pretty close to home. You recognize the things that you've been feeding yourself, and quite frankly, your children and grandchildren have not been very good. And knowing that how it affects our minds is how it's going to affect our lives, you're ready to start again, to get a fresh start. There's forgiveness, there's mercy, and there is a new direction that God wants to give you this morning. And so whatever decision the Lord's laid on your heart, this is your moment. This is your time. Respond to the Lord's leading.